Welcome back, my friends. This is a new episode of the Do Big Things podcast. My name is Adam, and this is my podcast. I've got another great guest for you guys this week. Her name is Carla Benson. She's an endurance athlete and a coach who specializes in helping clients with strength training, which is something I really believe in. She's a three-time Ironman, a one-time Ironman champion, and she most recently completed the iconic Grand Canyon Rim to Rim to Rim. Get ready to dig into this conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. I want to give a personal shout out to a couple people. Um, I, I'm just going to dig in. Uh, I want to thank Jason Henry, 10 Junk Miles Podcast, Dale Hawkins, Maggie Feldborg, Beth Chambers, and of course, my bud, Scott Myers. Man, I wish I was running Coco with you. I'll be cheering for you every single step of the way, buddy. Without you guys, there would be no podcast. You know what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you all more than you can, more than you can imagine. Real quick, I want to tell you guys about Bigger Than the Trail. Um, they are a nonprofit that can get you up to three free months of therapy through the BetterHelp Network. This is some groundbreaking stuff. I love these guys. It's really easy. Um, believe me, it doesn't cost you a dime. I tried it. I went to biggerthanthetrail.com. I signed up, and within 48 hours, I had a licensed therapist, and I talked to her once a week, and it was a fantastic experience. You can talk on the phone, you can do Zoom, you can text, whatever you're comfortable with. So if you guys are struggling and you need someone to talk to about something that's going on, check out biggerthanthetrail.com and get the help you need. And if you do check them out, let me know. Um, if I've helped a person or two out there find some therapy and find some clarity, I absolutely love hearing about it. It really fires me up and inspires me to keep spreading the message. I also want to thank Exoskin, Athletic Brewing, and Alter Ego Running. I've got promo codes on the show notes and at the end of the show. And remember, guys, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting this show. Speaking of supporting this show, we are on Patreon. If you like what we're doing here at Big Things Crewing, please... Put a dollar or five or ten in the hat. Patreon.com slash do big things. Your support means the world to me. And maybe you don't have the means, though. Um, the cheapest and easiest way to support us would be uh, to write us a review or share it on social media. If, if we help you make the miles go by just a little bit better, please help us out, guys. I can't do this without you guys. Also, hang out to the end of the show. We've got a new track from my man, Pedro, and it's a banger. All right, let's get into this episode. You guys are going to like it. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Carla Benson. Um, I just got back from a bike ride, so I am feeling good right now. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. What did you, what was your workout today? I'm guessing you did something. I, yes, I did a little bit of a dog walk. I'm still recovering, so we'll dive into it, but I did run the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim. Mm. It'll be two weeks tomorrow um, since that. So I've given myself two weeks off to recover. 
Um, so I went for a little dog walk this morning and then I am going to teach a spin class later tonight. So I'll get the legs and the blood flowing with that, nice. but, um, just slowly starting to get back into activity again, give my body the full couple of weeks to recover from my big adventure. Well, that's smart. Most people aren't, most people don't do that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I've realized that this was my first ultra marathon that I did. Um, the Grand Canyon and that I realized it's taken a lot longer to recover than more people give it credit for um, just with regards to kind of a deep inner kind of like fatigue and catching up with energy expenditure and calories and whatnot. I'm still feeling some of the effects from that. So I was like, all right, that's why I'll give myself the big two week break. Yes. Yeah, I've noticed uh, after I run ultras, after, you know, maybe a week or so, it's like my legs feel pretty good. And as I'm walking around the house, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm back to normal. And then I go out for a little run and two miles in, I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Okay, there's soreness way down deep in the muscles that I'm just, <laughs> so yeah, oh, yeah. you got to take that time off. So good, Absolutely. good on you. Yeah. Um, so do you live the, the endurance coach life? Like, um, it sounds like you teach a spin class. So, um, you roll your eyes as I say that, yeah. but like, I'm kind of in the same boat where you almost have to have a couple of hustles going on to make it all work. Is that sort of the boat that you're in right now? That is the boat that I'm in. So it's one of those things where I've actually just created a business myself called elevated endurance. And it is a focus, it is endurance coaching, but it's also, I do do strength coaching for endurance athletes because of my background of Ironman, Fondos, kind of some more of those in marathons, half marathons, all that kind of fun jazz. I dabble in a lot of things. Triathlon is my background, but what I do is I have realized that strength training is so important for athletes and especially endurance athletes, but there's always kind of the gap between understanding of what endurance training looks like. And then if you try and connect to a strength coach, it might be some bodybuilder or some like yoga instructor or some kind of mix of one or the other. And they don't quite understand again, the fatigue or what it is like what you are putting your body through as an endurance athlete. So that's my main focus now. And then again, I like to stay connected in the community with, um, I do teach a spin class twice a week. I do go to run groups as well. Um, dabble in a few, few other areas, just more for fun and connection as well to the community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to get out there. You got to meet people. You got to get outside the house and be in the world to Absolutely. keep the business going. Um, so say I am a potential client and mm -hmm. I'm coming to Carla because I want to, I don't know, uh, get in shape or I have a race later on this year or... I want to do the rim to rim to rim. Um, what does a coaching plan, uh, whether it's training plan or actual coaching, what does that look like coming from you on your end? Absolutely. So again, there's different avenues where I'm based out of Vancouver, Canada. Um, oh. So I do do kind of in-person training, um, but I also do virtual training as well, well, whether that be via kind of Zoom or FaceTime or something like that. But I also do kind of on paper structure wise. Um, with regards to kind of the whole program. So if you're just looking for strength training, I can do that. If you're like, Hey, I know strength training is important and I am working towards a marathon. Again, you, I know the difference in kind of how to balance 
where to put in the runs, where to put in the strength, what to focus on with previous injuries or whatnot, and kind of finding that balance and periodization throughout the whole year or upwards of a couple months beforehand, things like that. So there's different avenues depending on where you are, because luckily right now we can work virtually and mm-hmm. internationally, which is nice. Um, mm-hmm. But also if you're in the Vancouver area at all, I would be more than happy to work with you in person. Nice. Um, what does an in-person workout session look like with you? Are you in the gym with someone and in, in watching their form as we're working on strength training stuff or what's that like? Yes, absolutely. So I do work out of a gym um, in Vancouver. And so it would be an hour long session where you do come in. Um, I would lead you through some things. I do do some programs where um, I do have a program where you'd come in for an hour. I would be able to kind of assess how your body moves. And then on top of that, what we do is we'd actually go through the workout and I'd be able to watch your form, give you any keys and kind of um, cues and suggestions of ways to make sure you're doing it correctly. And then you would have a four week program that you could do on your own. So it's kind of a one-time meetup and then you can do it on your own time. So it's not necessarily just one-on-one. And then I have a few clients who I see once a month and they come through, we run through the whole next program as they kind of come into their next training cycle, um, which I can pair with as well. Interesting. Yeah. So you see them once and then you send them off with four weeks worth of workouts. Yes. But it's one of those things. So that Mm. first, that one time I see them again, it's not necessarily like I'm running through the workout with them. It's a lot more regarding to technique and form and structure and making sure that they understand. Um, So when I'm not there that they're like, oh yeah, I remember to push my hips a little bit further back in a hinge motion, or I should be feeling this in my bum or my thighs, not necessarily one or the other, my knees or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then virtually say I come to you and I want to run the rim to rim to rim in six months, but, um, I've got a little bit of athletic experiences. Like, uh, I've got a little bit of running background. I've spent some time in the gym, but I'm not super strong. Um, what would that look like? It would all start with a kind of a zoom consultation first. So I could get to understand understand you kind of what life looks like. Um, and then from there, we'd have to try and find a meeting point where it's like, where can I meet you where you're at to build up that base again, making sure it's not, it's progressive overload. You can handle it with kind of your daily activities, kind of your daily schedule and whatnot. So your body doesn't get injured really quickly off the bat. Cause if you're just saying I have six months to go, I'm kind of athletic, I'm kind of fit. And then to throw you into a straight training program, right off the bat, your body kind of may not be able to handle that load. So again, it is a little bit of building that base, which I'm sure, you know, as being a ultra marathoner, it's like, you got to take the time to build the base slowly, let your body adapt to, um, the requirements that we're, we're asking of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, then again, if they are at the gym, I can do a session with them or like virtually, um, I do have some people have gyms at home. So we kind of train in their gym at home as well. Mm-hmm. Like again, virtually, um, So it is a kind of personalized one-on-one situation, but if they are interested, we can call me and find a route that works for them. Okay. So you will virtually work out with someone like, is that over zoom and you're uh, like, what does that look like? Because I've thought about doing that as a coach and I've never really pulled the trigger on it. Like I have clients that live in another state and 
although we talk virtually a lot, I've never worked out with them. And some of these clients I've been training for well over a year, but I've never worked out with this person. And I've thought about just setting up a zoom and setting up the cameras and we can just work out together. Um, how do you make that? How do you do that? Um, yeah. So it's one of those things where I, well, I've had a lots of practice with the pandemic for doing things virtually. <laughs> um, and through trial and error, it's one of those things you kind of like Again, once I get to know them, I know what their space is like. So they might tour me around their space, um, see what equipment they have. And from there, we can figure again, figure out what we can do with what they have. Um, I necessarily won't be working out exactly with them because I'm more watching their form, watching their technique. Um, and also I might have different equipment than they have as well. Right. So, um, but what that looks like is mostly Zoom or FaceTime or other options as well. And kind of set me up. I'm in the corner. And you might adjust me left and right if I can't see you. But again, it's me directing you through that hour long session. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, what happens if a client comes to you and says, I'm really fit. I've spent a lot of time in the gym and doing endurance sports, but mentally I am weak. I, I don't have a clue where to start. I don't do any visualizing. I don't see myself finishing the race that I'm signed up for. Um, do you work with people in, in that sense at all? Not specifically in just kind of, that almost seems around the idea of yes, mindset and sports psychology, not just specifically with that. I do kind of interlace that throughout various sessions and throughout the clients I do work with, um, and athletes I work with. And it's one of those things where I do ask the questions of like, okay, like, have we start to visualize what the race looks like asking those questions. And then from there, I can kind of, again, weave through, uh, what the, where potentially the client might not be having that connection just yet. If they have, if they have worries or things, definitely listening to what their worries are talking through it. Let's say you're like, I can't, I'm signed up for this ultra marathon. I can't see myself finishing. It's like, okay, well, let's work back. What can you see finishing starting from like the morning of, can you see yourself putting on your shoes? I'm a big visualization person. So like, mm -hmm. what are you going to have for breakfast? What are you going to wear? Let's already have those things planned out. So you don't have to worry about that. And then you can dive into what are you feeling before race morning? Um, a big fan of, again, visualizing throughout the race, let's say in this situation. And then from there, I also try and before the race, I would meet, I'd like to do at least a phone call like a day or two beforehand mm -hmm. um, to again, talk through what is their game plan? You should already have your race plan down by that point in time, but also what are you going to do in the case of something doesn't go your way that you didn't visualize or you didn't plan for? Like, what are kind of some backup, either like mantras you say to yourself, if you pop in some music, that's another thing. Um, or like, I'm a big fan of quotes. So it's like, I write quotes on my hands or like, what is something that you can think of to kind of put at least one foot in front of the other? Um, again, you have to, through working with individuals, um, you get to know them and you can kind of figure out what works. Cause again, each person and each body works differently than other ones. Um, and whether, and so you can kind of dial it into that specific client. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been coaching? I just started my business in July, but I have been coaching for five years. Okay. Yeah. Um, what made you want to start a business? I really found that disconnect, like I said, between strength training and the endurance world. And again, with my experience of my three-time Ironman and again, all those like fondos and long-term kind of races, like I am in that position where I can connect the two. 
um, before I was, I've been in the fitness industry again for five, six years at this point in time. So it's been various things of group classes or personal trainers or again, spin instructors. So I've learned a lot through that. But again, the endurance community is something that I've always been really passionate about. And again, I can see there's a little bit of a disconnect between endurance athletes and strength trainers. Like I can bring those two together. So that's where the idea kind of connected. Okay. And I'm asking all these questions because I'm personally interested and I'm a coach as well. And sometimes I have clients come to me with, with weird situations, weird, weird, uh, whatever. So say I come to you and say, um, I don't like the gym. I don't like strength training. Are you the, are you the wrong coach for me? (laughs) Not necessarily. I'm definitely going to, I will incorporate it gently just because I will also talk about the benefits of it. And I'm sure as a coach yourself, you know that there is benefits to strength training, right. whether it be injury, resistance, all like resistance training. Um, there's so many benefits to it. And it's one of those things where, again, meeting the, the athlete where they're at, where they're like, you know what? I can do a few lunges when I'm waiting for my coffee to brew in the morning. Cool. Like I will take that. I'll take it and mm-hmm. run with it. Um, if you don't like the gym, again, we can always modify with what you have at home or what you have time for, or um, you can connect with that, but that's not necessarily, that is a main focus of mine, but it's not my only focus with my business. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And are most of your clients, um, triath- triathletes? No, I have some cyclists. I ha- do have some triathletes and I do have some runners. So okay. I kind of dabble in all of them. So all across the board. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Um, did you grow up in Canada? I did not. So I'm originally from Seattle and I moved up to Canada about four years ago. Oh, what prompted that? Change of scenery for the most part. Um, I'm also a dual citizen. So I have a Canadian passport and I've always wanted to live in Canada. Nice. It's pretty beautiful. It's pretty awesome up there from what I understand. It's the Vancouver area is an endurance athlete's dream with like world-class trails for mountain biking and trail running up here. Um, we have great on-road rides as well. And you can, there's so many mountains to climb hikes. You can do, you can bike from here to Whistler. It's, it's a outdoor enthusiast kind of Mecca up here. Seattle's pretty cool though, too, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I've spent a little time in Seattle, not a ton, but obviously Mount Rainier's right there. There's a lot of trails in the area. Um, is it a good place to cycle as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've spent more time road biking than I have mountain biking. Um, but the whole Seattle area is very bikeable. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so you've been in Canada for like four years, you said, um, how did you get into this crazy world? Um, uh, so, uh, triathlon is, is your main sport. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How did, how did this all come about? How did this start? Did, were you athletic in school? Did you have parents that were athletes? I was a competitive swimmer growing up. So, um, my parents both grew up in Canada, um, away from the ocean and my mom cannot swim. So she threw my brother and I into swim lessons when we were young <laughs> and then wanted to make sure that we again knew how to swim. So swim lessons turned into swim team, which turned into competitive swimming for 13 years. Um, and then I was going to swim collegiately. Um, unfortunately the school I went to, uh, I didn't, I tried to walk onto the team, but that didn't work out. So I was like, Hey, I've always wanted to try a triathlon, join the triathlon club. And that was just a whole new 
world of sports, which I loved for those four years. Um, and then after graduating university, I took all my graduation money and I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to try an Ironman. So I took all that graduation money, used it for race entry and started training for my first Ironman in 2015. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you do any shorter distance triathlons before that? Oh yes. So again, throughout the course of the four years, um, it was like sprint Olympic half distance, like 70.3 distance. I even did some like super sprints some draft legal work as well. I have kind of experience throughout the board. Okay. So you didn't jump into Ironman um, green like I did. I've done a couple <laughs> Ironmans. It's been a while. Uh, Ironman eventually led me to trail running, which eventually led me to ultra marathons. But um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm uh, a good triathlete or for me, it was just like, I wonder if I can do it, you know? Yep. And uh, swimming was always my weakest of the three uh, disciplines, which it sounds like you having the swimming background, uh, lucky you. I mean, you just, you already knew how to swim. So then it was biking and running. That sounds way easier. Like I knew how to bike and run. I didn't know how to, I could swim, but I sucked at it, you know? So it sounds like you had a leg up on me there, but I just sort of jumped in. Like, I wonder if I could finish this thing really naively. <laughs> it sounds like you took the smarter approach. <laughs> a little bit. I'm very much one to kind of make, um, uh, I was going to say like safe, I don't want to say safe decisions, but I'm almost the opposite of you where I'm like, okay, I can start a triathlon, like totally fine. Like swim, great bike, hold on, run. We'll see what happens. Like okay. at that point in time of the race, we'll just see what happens. Ah, okay. Yeah. See, so. I'm like, just get me to the run. If I can make it to the run, I'll finish the thing. <laughs> yeah. Mine's like running on. It's like, we'll just run for dear life and see what happens. See what happens. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. So um, after school, after college, you started doing triathlon. Is that, is that right? Is the timeline right there? So during, during college is when I started triathlon after college is when I started Ironman. And so I okay. was doing Ironman for about three and a half years there afterwards, where it was my main focus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and Ironman, obviously that's a big thing you're signing up for because, um, you have to sign up a year ahead of time. I think that's the way it is for all Ironmans. It was for me. So, um, yeah, for my Ironman, like, um, I did the Madison, Wisconsin Ironman. So I had to go volunteer one year at an Ironman and then the next morning show up and sign up and give them the credit card. And then I'm in and, but I have a year to train. Is that how all Ironmans are? For the most part, yes, that's from my understanding where it's one of those things where some Ironman are quite popular and the registration priority, there's a little bit of a priority list where if you do the race one year and you want to sign up for again next year, like you get top priority. And then from there, the volunteers get the next priority. Um, sometimes with that, the race fills up. Otherwise, if there is space available, then it would open up to the general public. That's my understanding. Okay. Um, so I did something similar to you where I went and I volunteered at Whistler, Ironman Whistler in 2014. And then I competed in 2015 okay. to make sure I had a spot. Yeah. And what were your thoughts when you were volunteering and looking at all these crazy people who are, you know, running into the middle of the night? You know, I just remember looking at these people like 
these guys are like gods. They're like <laughs> Superman. Like, I can't believe this is real. You know, <laughs> were you thinking the same way or? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I've seen the envy. I've seen the um, broadcast of the Kona Ironman, the world champions right. for so many years. Right. Okay. Um, and I was like, oh, that would be kind of cool to do. And then when that kind of led to, well, if, if you want to qualify for that, you got to do one beforehand. And I do remember that I was volunteering and I remember standing on the shores race morning. Again, this is the year I was volunteering, but I was standing on the shores and you saw all the athletes in their wetsuits come into, I believe it was Alta Lake up at Whistler. And it's like, the sun is barely coming over the mountains, but you see all the steam rising up from the water and they let off the canyon as they ready to go. And I had the biggest goosebumps on my arm of excitement. And I was totally geeking out to, I had two friends who volunteered with me and I was telling them all the details of what the distances were. This is what the course was. And they were like, okay, Carla, we're just up in Whistler for a weekend and sure we're going to volunteer versus I am like, look at these people and this is how they're racing. It's like, there's just so much excitement to it all Mm -hmm. that I was like standing on the shore again, the cannon went off and I had the race morning goosebumps. And then in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm going to be here next year. And yeah, the rest so of it was history. just calling your name. Yeah. You knew yeah. it. That's mm-hmm. cool. That's so cool. Um, what did you study in school? Kinesiology. Oh, kinesiology. Okay. Um, trying to, okay. So, and then, okay. I'm just trying to put this all together. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to paint a picture for myself. Oh, yep. Yeah. Dog buddy. Yep. <laughs> Amazon's delivering a package. So, uh, I'll <laughs> oh, <that'll> do it. <laughs> <They're our doorbell. laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. So, um, what did that year of training look like up to your very first Ironman? It was a lot of work. So again, it was right out of college. I went to school in California and so I moved back home to Seattle. Um, so that year out of first year out of college, I was trying to find my footing. I'm going to kind of paint a picture where I was looking to go into physical therapy school. So I was gaining a lot of experience um, at various clinics. Um, So I was working two various jobs, um, one at a clinic, another one, I believe I was lifeguarding at the time too, or teaching spin classes. I was volunteering at a hospital, again, to really get a lot of clinical experience. And then on top of that training 20, 30 hours a week. Um, But what that looked like for me was swimming three times a week, running three times a week, um, cycling three times a week. And then that adjusted as well as kind of training progressed where you might throw in a brick here or there on Saturdays and Sundays um, and adjusting accordingly. There was a little bit of strength training there at the time. Again, with regards to my first Ironman, it was all about just building up that base of aerobic capacity. And did you have a time goal right away for your very first Ironman or were you just trying to finish? I'm going to be honest. I was very bold and I wanted to qualify for world championships. So I knew I had a rough time and I looked at the previous year's times for my age group and it was roughly going to be around 12 hours. Um, And so I um, was roughly planning for that. And with that, again, a lot of the visualization that I was talking about during my training, where I'm like, okay, my swim should be about this time. My bike should be about this time, runs this time. 
again, roughly, which also kind of evened out to the paces I was training at anyways. Um, and then, yeah, that, that worked for the most part upwards of race day. Okay. And you qualified in your first one. I did. No doubt. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And with swimming as your strength, um, were you going for a certain swim time? I mean, I was going for under 60 minutes, oh, so under an hour. Okay. okay. See, again, that was my slowest one. I'm like, if I can finish in an hour and a half, we'll call it good. <laughs> okay. So you're going for under an hour. So that's, to me, that's hammering in the water. Yeah. Um, and then like training for an Ironman, the bulk of your time is usually on the bike. Is that how it was for you? Were you putting a lot of miles in? I was, I was. So, um, again, being up in the Pacific Northwest, we, can't necessarily bike outside all year round. So there was a lot of time on the trainer, um, especially during the winter. And then once kind of spring came along, then I was able to bump outside. But again, the majority of the bike was my bike training was maybe about anywhere between an hour and two hours during the week. And then again, once we were out onto the, um, kind of longer rides that would get upwards of six, seven hours with the training rides on Saturdays, mm -hmm. um, during kind of more closer to the peak. Yeah. And had you ever run a marathon before your first Ironman? No. Okay. So you're one of those crazy people. This was your first <laughs> marathon. <laughs> so there's like a fun story where I, I've only run marathons during Ironman. I've never run a solo marathon Oh, really? until I was training for the grand Canyon, okay. um, this, this year. So it's like, I ran my own marathon by myself and I was like, cool, no medal with this one, but, yeah. uh, nice. <laughs> I ran a marathon. Okay. <laughs> is running your jam or is it just kind of the sport that is on the back burner or what's it like for you? It's very much more on the back burner, just because again, with my background of swimming, I'm more of a fish, so I'm not very coordinated on land. Okay. Um, so that was the only sport I got slightly injured in as I was kind of getting started. Um, and it's one that's taken some time and some effort to find my flow to really kind of work on my gait a little bit, see how my body does react to it. But throughout all this training, I've, I've learned to love it a little bit more and um, from Ironman to then working on trail running this year for the Grand Canyon, I've learned to love it even more because it's so cool to be able to move somewhere on your own two feet and like find a view or meet some other people, or it's, it's a great community connect to, to yes. connect to with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really is. Um, when I, when I discovered trail running, it just opened up a whole new world to me. And I feel like that's probably what you're going through right now. Maybe. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's like why am i spending all my time on the roads this is where it's at right like and it's one of those things where it's just i don't know about you but the trail running community is like yes we can very much be like hardcore and going for it but it's also like oh here's a waterfall let's stop take a photo at this waterfall too and it's just so much more enjoyable than pavement pounding i'm finding yeah yeah and not to dog on Ironmans or triathlon, triathletes, triathlons too much, but like I would go and do one of those races and barely talk to anybody throughout the day because everyone's so focused on themselves and their splits. And there's just not a lot of talk or chatter or friendliness going on, but then you sign up for, and I've said this on the podcast a zillion times, and then you go to an ultra marathon 
like a 50 K or something. And you come away with five new best friends. And, you know, a decade later, they're still my best friends. I'm still in contact with all these people. It's just way more friendly, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I I've had similar experiences. I've had great, um, great training groups with my Ironman. I have joined a, a couple of different triathlon teams throughout the time. And when you do find a good training partner or again, a group to train with that makes the experience better, especially if you see them out on the course. Um, I tend to be, I try and be friendly on the course of like, Hey, let's take a moment and look at what we're doing. It is actually pretty cool, but there is a lot more focus. I will say with everything in triathlons, um, or, or Ironman than on the trails where it's much more relaxed, very much friendlier. Yeah. Okay. So you qualified for Kona. Yes. Um, did that change anything in your mindset? Did, did things get more serious after that? A little bit. So again, I Whistler was in July of 2015 and then Kona was in October. So I only had about 10 weeks to kind of flip around into another one. Dang. Yeah. Okay. 10 weeks. Okay. So, I mean, that's possible for sure, but that's a little bit of pressure. It's a little bit of a pressure. So I had about, again, a two weeks to kind of, I had like a week after Whistler to kind of calm down slowly, kind of get the body relaxed again. And then I had another two training cycles to go through. So it was like this fine line of having to pick back up, not quite do full peak, but still get up there. So my body was ready to do the marathon and ready to do the 112 miles on the bike. Um, and then come back into a full paper again, mm, okay. prime for Kona. And then tell me about your Kona experience. It was a whirlwind of emotions. It was amazing to be there. Um, the entire community of an Island of Kona in Hawaii, when I was there was just um, they treated every single age group athlete, just like a pro athlete. And it was the spirit of the community, just like with the whole build up to race week was it's hard to find words, but it was just magical for mm-hmm. the most part. Mm-hmm. Kona experience started off strong and then, um, started off with a strong swim was holding, um, I think I was holding top five, um, top five, top seven um, on the bike. And then I ultimately had a, I crashed my bike at mile 80. Oh no. Someone in a aid station as I was going through, through their water bottle under my front wheel and I flipped over my handlebars. Oh yeah. Did you get pretty banged up? (laughs) Uh, I'm decently banged up. Not too bad. I was very lucky with only kind of leaving with some road rash and dropping my chain. So I didn't have a flat tire at all. I was able to finish the bike and ultimately finish the race, but, um, was banged up. And that kind of affected my run a little bit as my body kind of started to seize up a little seize bit. Yeah. 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 And if it happened at an aid station, I'm guessing a million people saw it then. Oh yeah. That's my, I just remember flipping over the handlebars and then I kind of opened my eyes and I was looking at the blue skies and out of nowhere, you just see this NBC camera come into scope. I was like, is this, if this is my 15 seconds of fame of me flat on my back on the highway, I'll take it. But I'm just like, this is the one moment you catch. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> um, how, how much did that slow you down? Do you think? It slowed me down for about, I'd say five to 10 minutes. Not too bad. I hopped up pretty quick again, luckily as an aid station. So someone ran over some water and I quickly like washed out my road rashes 
was able to kind of put the chain back on my bike and refill my water bottle. And I was moving pretty quickly. Um, again, when you're in race mode, you never quite know how long something takes. It may feel, it feels like two minutes, but I'm sure it's about five to 10. Okay. Okay. And then you put the run together somehow, even though you're a little scraped up. Yep. Yep. Put the run together again. I'm very pale from the Pacific Northwest. And so (laughs) fully like second degree, like blistered sunburns everywhere, like, (laughs) um, made it through again, was a little bit more stiff than I wanted to be. So I think it wasn't a best time with my Ironman experience, but I did finish, which ultimately by the end of the day, that was very much a just finish full experience. Got it. Enjoy the experience race. But it's still freaking Kona. I mean, come on. (laughs) It's still Kona. You still did it. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was a wild time. I mean, okay. in, In the big scheme of things, like times don't really matter. Like the time of your Ironman, like most people don't really care. Um, you know, 95, 98% of people just, they, they know that you finished and they say, congratulations. They don't care what your time was, but, uh, what was your time at Kona? Do you remember? I think it was like 1233. It was one of those things where I was doing well. Um, again, the crash, um, kind of broke everything up. And then obviously with that, it didn't hit quite my run paces that I wanted to, but I think it ended up being 1233. Okay. So it was actually my slowest, um, Ironman time. Um, but it's one of those things with any Ironman, each race, you never know what's going to happen. Each race course is different from one to the other. Um, you never know what the weather is going to be like. So it's, it's, I'm again, it's anytime you finish, it's an accomplishment. Yeah. How did you feel afterwards? Did you feel like you kind of got ripped off and you were, you know, because the crash slowed you down or were you just elated to finish the thing? Both. Uh, It definitely had me coming back. I'm definitely interested to go back for more. Um, But after the crash, I was kind of angry until I got into T2. And then the run, I flipped around where I flipped the mindset around where, yes, I had certain times in my head. And then I was like, well, that probably won't happen. So it's like, let's just enjoy the experience. So again, like as you're running through, like through various neighborhoods and you see like the little kids clapping on the side of the road or like the families who have their hose out spraying, you like go for it. Or like going into the energy lab, they were giving out glow sticks and there's a dance party. There's a DJ out there at this point in time of the night. So it's like, okay, let's just go for it. Let's enjoy the experience now. Um, And that's also like a different tactic for racing, but it also makes it really fun. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. And then eventually you were an Ironman champion. And so yeah. I'm trying to work my way to that story, but I don't, I don't know how this goes. So, okay. So you finished Kona and then what happened after that? Um, I'm so guessing the Ironman champion came through actually at Whistler. It's an age group champion, but I had to win my age group in order to qualify for Kona. Got they it. were only giving away one spot in my age group. And so that's where that came through. Oh, uh, got it. Got it. So that was your first Ironman. Yeah. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you've done three Ironmans though. Yep. And so what was the third one? I did Santa Rosa in 2017. So I took a year off after doing uh, Whistler and then Kona. Um, mm-hmm. I took a year off, did just some 70.3, some smaller races, mm-hmm. um, a couple of half marathons, just to kind of take a break mentally and physically from the demands mm-hmm. of racing. And then I dove back into, um, Ironman racing for 2017 and I, 
uh, competed at Santa Rosa in, I believe that was July, August or July that year. Okay. And so it, it seems like you're spacing your races out in a healthy fashion. You're not just cramming tons and tons of races in throughout the year, which is tempting to do and sometimes fun, but also can wreck your body. It sounds like you're being smart and healthy about it, but there's some time in there. Are you also running marathons or doing bike races or swim races or what else is going on in your life? We're like 2016. Is that kind of what you're aiming for? 2016. And, and even after 2017 up to the rim to rim to rim, like what else are you up to in life? Uh, yeah. So 2016 was actually a year again, that was more of a mental health year where I, I did a lot of traveling actually. So I was able to travel to Antarctica with my dad as able mm-hmm. to travel to Europe to visit my aunt at the time. That's another aspect of my life that I very, very much value. Um, again, 2016 was filled with like two 70.3s, two half marathons, spacing it out as well. Um, yeah. And then 2017 did Ironman Santa Rosa. And then I was actually kind of the lead up to the Grand Canyon was I went hiking in the Grand Canyon with some friends from university in 2018, where we hiked the South K-Bob Trail down to Phantom Ranch, spent the night and then hiked up Bright Angel Trail the next day. Um, again, enjoying just time outdoors for the most part. But as we were hiking down, um, again, I was kind of looking for what my next kind of challenge would be. Because yeah. um, again, half marathons, you they lose their kind of magic after a while. And an Ironman's like, okay, we'll see. I'm not quite fired up for that just yet. Um, but I saw as we were hiking the Grand Canyon in 2018, we saw some runners. And I think at one of the places she could fill up water, I was like, happened to strike up a conversation. I was like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, we're running rim to rim. Or we bumped into another group. It's like, we're running rim to rim to rim. And so here I go, like, oh, there's a sparkle in my eye. And I turned to my friends, like, who would want to do rim to rim to rim? And they all just go immediately no, immediately no, Carla. <laughs> but I had this sparkle in my eye. And I was like, I'm going to do it. Why not? And I thought about it for the weekend uh, when we were camping and, Again, that was 2018. I was supposed to do Ironman Penticton in 2020. Obviously that got canceled and postponed Mm. and whatnot. And with the pandemic, I was like, I need something to challenge me. I need something to work towards. What's on my list that isn't necessarily a sanctioned race that can get canceled at any time. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do the Grand Canyon. Let's go. And so that's kind of where it led me to this year. Nice. And that, so that was your first ultra marathon. Um, Yep. When did ultramarathons um, come into your, when did you find out about ultramarathons? I'm always curious about how people discover ultras. So I started to learn about trail running. My brother also lives in Vancouver as well. And I started learning about trail running because him and his wife kind of did a couple of local trail runs up here. And then they started doing kind of 50 Ks and kind of starting to get into the ultramarathon with that aspect. Um, So I've kind of, I, kind of knew through them but then there was a few youtube videos that i really dove into like learning about like dean canascus and um like jesse itzler and some of the things he's done and then eventually you kind of learn about like badwater and leadville and you kind of slowly start hearing about those stories with like david goggins or jesse itzler again and then like courtney dewalter And then you kind of see little YouTube documentaries on them or little biographies about them. And then you start reading books. And so it's kind of just like there in the back of my mind, but it was, I hadn't really dive into it into this year. 
Okay. Or last year, technically. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I don't know how to ask this. Are you obsessed with running now? Are you obsessed with trail running now? Is this like kind of taking over or not quite that much? It's getting there. It's getting right there. <laughs> now the blisters are still the blisters on my feet from the grand Canyon are still a good reminder of like, maybe not yet, yeah. but, um, again, I will say it's, I am starting to transfer from road running to trail running. Absolutely. Yeah. It's again, much more enjoyable, much easier on the body yeah. can be a lot more scenic again, more friendly, more comfortable. And it's, I've definitely kind of started to look at some races here and there, but mm -hmm. haven't let myself register for anything just yet. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, what was the training like, uh, for rim to rim to rim? Were you training specifically for that terrain or just the distance or what did that look like? Yes. So I knew going into it, my ultimate plan was I wanted to do, I wanted to do rim to rim to rim in October, but a few kind of hiccups didn't work out with that way. So I bounced from October till March. Cause I knew it wanted to be cold. Um, mm -hmm. or colder, yep. um, and make sure, because again, being the fair skinned redhead from the Pacific Northwest, like heat and sun don't really agree with my body that well. <laughs> um, so it's like, okay, well, what's a good month to do it. So March. So I knew that, especially with the lead up to rim to rim to rim this time around, I had to be aware of it's cold up here in Vancouver. It's snowy up here in Vancouver. Um, a lot of the higher peaks and elevation where I could do a lot of training, is covered in snow. Mm -hmm. So it was a big kind of puzzle, puzzle to put together of where can I get elevation and distance, but also time on my legs and time under tension there. So that's where actually strength training was a big proponent going into this. So like a lot of front squats, a lot of slow eccentric movements to prepare the tendons and the muscles for um, the time under tension, like going downhill for eight miles or again, going uphill climbing for another 10 miles. Um, but training wise, I was again, getting a lot of time on my volume on my legs where I was biking two times a week, running three times a week, and then strength training again, three, sometimes four times a week on top of that, okay. um, specific focus. Okay. And in March is the water spigots turned on down in the bottom of the Canyon. Some of them are not all of them. So okay. we had water at Phantom Ranch, at Manzanita, and then at Indian Garden. Okay. So that's yeah. enough. Enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Both times I've done the rim to rim to rim was Thanksgiving weekend. And okay. it was, I think it was the same thing with the water. It's like they weren't all on, but there was at least three different places where we could get water, if I remember right. Um Tell me about the trip uh, or the, the rim to rim to rim. Were you by yourself? Were you with friends? Um, and just, yeah, I want to hear about all of it because to be honest, that's one of my favorite runs. I absolutely love it. And I'm trying to remember the mileage on it. It's like 46 miles or something. Gar it's kind of a range. It depends. Each person's Strava and Garmin pops <laughs> up with something different. And sometimes you lose signal halfway and um, so it's about 44 to 46 miles. That's kind of a rough range of everything. Um, and the trip again has highs and lows. It was one of those things where I was going to run it solo. Um, but I was able to connect via, there's a grand Canyon rim to rim to rim Facebook group. Okay. And so it's like, they're a great resource. If you have questions or mm -hmm. kind of gear questions, you want to hear about people's experiences, all sorts of things like that. 
And I happened to post like, Hey, I'm doing it the weekend of March 24th through 26th. Is anyone out there? And there was a group um, from Houston, Houston Striders who actually reached out and they said, there's going to be a group of 20 of us feel free to join. And so I was able to connect with them um, where I wasn't running by myself, but there was 20 of us, 18 or 20 of us who started on March 25th. And, um, we started together and then you kind of naturally spread out throughout the Canyon. And you also met other runners that day or hikers that day that you would connect with. Um, so I was never actually alone, which was really nice because yeah. it's a long day. And if you're by yourself on top of a long day, again, the mental strategy to it was a whole nother factor of everything. Yeah. Yeah. But um, to wrap up the, to, to kind of, I finished in 19 and a half hours. So the day didn't go as planned, but um, it wasn't because of under training or under fueling. It was actually because of blisters. So blisters just slowed me down. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then let me ask, what were you wearing for shoes and socks? Oh, shoes. Um, shoes. I was wearing the Innovas. I don't know the exact, I can get you that information. I don't know exactly off my head or Innovates. 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 It yeah. might be innovates. Okay. Um, and then socks. I was wearing the Injiji five finger toe socks. Okay. Which I still love. Got blisters. Yeah. Those normally prevent blisters for the most part. Yeah. Okay. I think it was size of the shoes where they too fit. big or too small. Too small. Okay. They fit and they're even half a size bigger. But mm-hmm. I think with between the heat and the volume and then um, the pitch of the canyon, that's just mm-hmm. kind of the ultimate factor that just didn't quite work where were your blisters everywhere i got 12 so they're everywhere okay (laughs) (laughs) so it's not like one specific place we can hone in on and try and figure it out blisters were everywhere it was the the hardest part was the tops of the toes and then the side of the heels okay but Uh, it wasn't it was a weird thing because i didn't have any blisters during training so it's like i'd run in the shoes i'd run in the socks i'd run in the full kit the full gear and everything and I felt great, but just happened to be on race day that or run day that that's what was given to me. Okay. And blisters will kill you. I mean, it sounds like a very insignificant thing to people who don't know better, but a blister will ruin your day. And I mean, one will ruin your day. You had 12 <laughs> of them. <laughs> I had 12 of them. And that was a hard part coming up Bright Angel Trail. I will say that was a big mental kind of obstacle I had to go through. I'm like, do I just take off the shoes? Do, but then I was like, oh, as I'm hiking up, I'm seeing scorpions on the trail. I'm like, maybe not. Or like, <laughs> if I step on something sharp, what would happen? So ultimately I ended up cutting the shoes to create a little extra relief um, and space in the shoes. Oh, smart. Um, Where'd you cut them in the back or right along the sides. So okay. it was one of those things where yes, the blisters were on the heels, but also my feet felt quite cramped at the front. So I totally just cut right along the side to give my feet a little bit more space to kind of spread out to Makes sense. Yeah. If you did it again, what would you do differently? Different shoes, potentially, mm-hmm. I'd probably maybe potentially work with like the ultras or the hokas to get a little mm-hmm. bit of the wider foot box. Um, but Ultimately, it was the hardest thing is like my legs felt fine. My training felt fine. My body felt good. It was just the blisters that ultimately slowed Mm -hmm. me down. When did the blisters creep in and start slowing you down? 
Uh, they started to creep in on the way down from the North Rim, about okay. two thirds of the way down from the North Rim. Um, once I turned at the North Rim, I was super excited, had some kind of trail joy, gratitude, I'm like, okay, cool, we're halfway, let's start running down. I was beat bopping along, like singing, listening to some music. Um, my legs could kind of feel the downhill from the North or from the South Rim that morning. Um, but then as I was kind of like running, kind of power hiking down, that's where I'm like, oh, my toes are kind of starting to hurt. I wonder what's going on there. And then slowed down a little bit and you could feel kind of the pressure of the blisters come in. And then I was like, okay, this is a power hike down. We're being mm. conservative with this. I got to Manzanita, like refilled water. And I was like, okay, we're at the bottom of the Canyon. It's hot out. Let's run through this as much as we can. But a lot of people don't realize it's that like 2% gradient down. So it's like, even as I was running through the bottom of the Canyon, it was still just enough forward that it was just like hitting the fronts of my toes with every step. Yeah. So I was just like, Ooh, it was, that was painful. So it was like, again, a power hiking as much as I could, yep. um, tried to run, but it was pretty painful at that point in time mm. until I got to Phantom Ranch. Mm. Okay. And you didn't change socks at all or lube up your feet or anything like that. I changed socks at Phantom Ranch. Tried to lube it a little sec- bit. Phantom Ranch a second time? Yes, correct. Phantom Ranch okay. a second time. Okay. Um, first time was totally fine. No need to s- stop and refill water mostly. Um, okay. Second time, put a couple of like the blister band-aids on, tried to protect them as much as I could. Um, again, swap socks. It was another pair of Injinji socks, socks, which I really enjoyed. Um, again, that was also probably a lifesaver with not getting blisters in between my toes. Mm-hmm. Um, which was good, tried to lube them up. But at that point in time, there was just so much pressure from the fluid of the blisters. Mm, yeah. That's going to slow down a run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it turned into a hike very much. Yeah. So on the way out, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, no, it's, it's one of my favorite runs. There's something really special about that place and I can never quite put it into words, but it's like, when you're in the canyon, I always feel something. I don't know what it is that I feel, but I feel something ancient. I feel something from a long, long time ago, like just some weird energy, or I don't know exactly how to put it into words. Did you have that feeling down there? Like, this is really a special, special place. Yeah, absolutely. So again, when I went in 2018, I fell in love with the canyon, just like pure beauty. Again, the experience of being able to camp, it was just, it was one of those things where you're in awe because every corner you look, you were just surrounded by this huge naturally created piece of art for the most part. And it's just like, just in total awestruck the entire time I was there in 2018. And ever since then, it was always, it holds a special place in my heart, hard to put into words exactly what it is, but even what you were saying, it's like, I get it. I a hundred percent, I'm on the same page with you for that. Um, and then when I came back this last time for rim to rim to rim, it was also, um, there's, there's mixed emotions. I got there the day before and I go to one of the lookouts and you see how big it is. And it's like, Oh snap, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> but then you start running and you see like the light slowly coming over the Canyon. And again, it's like every corner you turn or like, how the light is hitting certain canyon walls you're just like in awe at least Mm -hmm. for me um and was very much a special place and it it, i'm again i'm trying i'm at a loss for words with 
how to describe what it means to you, but it's like, okay, like it's beautiful. And then when you're at least, I don't know about you, but at least for me, when I'm running, I'm just like, but mother nature again, like she'll show you what's, what's happening where it's like, oh, this is also a run that is not easy. And no wonder they do not recommend it, but it's, it expanded my comfort zones in like mentally, physically, emotionally than I, more than I ever thought possible. Right. Um, so a lot of people are asking me if I'll do it again. And there's right now there's 2% chance that I will, but I, I kind of want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a couple more weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know when you finish that run, it almost ends up being like more of a spiritual journey or like a journey inward. You know, it's like once I, once you finally finish that thing, it's like, you almost feel like a slightly different person. Yeah. 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 So it was one of those things where I was, as I was coming up bright angel trail, the sun had set. And so you're only like hiking slash running by the light of your lamp, your headlamp. Mm -hmm. And so all you can see is the sand and the stone in front of you. And it's when you take out kind of, for the most part, like a couple of senses of vision and the kind of sense of direction, you very much turn inward. Like as again, this, as, as the sun was setting, the night was coming up, you could hear kind of like there was frogs starting to cricket and there's some other crickets as well. And like, you could hear some creeks here about, but it's like taking away the sense of vision for the most part. Again, you can only see what was in front of you. That was really interesting. But then after Indian Garden, you're making your way through those switchbacks. It's just kind of like steps and switchback and then steps and switchback. And then you kind of look up and you can see the stars, but you can take your headlamp and kind of look up the walls. And it's just like, you just see wall and you're like, it's endless. And you're like, (laughs) I have no idea. And that's where it very much turned into a spiritual experience. Like what is each step going to take me towards or like, what is going to motivate me to get and just keep moving forward and not stop. Yeah, I know. I just remember telling myself, we're just going to go up forever. We are going <laughs> up forever. This is never going to end. This is just my life from now on. <laughs> I had so many people afterwards and they're like, so why didn't you stop? And I was like, well, if I stop, there's no way out except to keep going up. Like yeah. I can hang out at Indian garden for a while or hang out at Phantom ranch for a while, but eventually you need to get out of the canyon. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Did you have um, a hotel or were you camping or what was your sleeping arrangement before and after? I did have a hotel just outside of the park. So in okay. that little kind of area, um, forgetting the name of the town, but just outside the park okay. is where I had it. And, and then, then you I, could, and then you could go back there afterwards to shower yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. That had to have felt good. Um, to have a nice shower afterwards. Um, how did you, I'm trying to think like if it had, if, if it took you 19 hours, was there anything open for like food or anything afterwards? No. So I did have my parents there. They were, um, kind of support crew and also cool. mom and dad were very much of, Hey, we are going to, su- we want to be your cheerleaders through all your crazy endeavors. They've been there from the first triathlon to the Kona finish line. And they're like, okay, we're not going to miss this finish nice. line. So they were on the rim waiting for me. And um, I had prepared ahead of time just in case anything was to go wrong um, that I had like, I had some soup from the grocery store and like a couple of pieces of pizza from um, the night before, just in case for food. But I will say like nutrition was on point, finished the run, like wasn't starving. Like hydration was for the most part, still pretty there. Again, it was just the pain in the feet that slowed me down. Mm. So, okay. Yeah. 
Wow. Um, there was a guy ahead of my podcast. Gosh, it was almost a year ago now. His name is Paul Hoogie, and he lives in Boulder here with me. Um, and uh, he ran the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim 10 times. One after another after another? Yes. Holy smokes. Isn't that nuts? That's wild. Yeah. I've had, I had him on the podcast. You may want to listen to it, but as you know, and he's a very, of course, very down to earth and humble guy. You know, it's like you, you have to pull these stories out of him because he's not the kind of guy that's going to talk about himself, just like super athlete and also very humble at the same time. But yeah, he had um, like an RV set up so that he could get some sleep uh, between laps and he did it 10 times and it's, that's longer than anyone's ever gone. And he, so he set the fastest known time on this 10 lap route, which no one's ever done before. I can't remember how long it took him, but of course it was days. It was just insane. I couldn't even fathom that. Like, I'm just like (laughs) trying to like wrap my head around doing it again, maybe next year, like, (laughs) but like to do it again, back to back 10 times, 10 times. What prompted that? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think that was that during COVID I'm trying to remember exactly when that was. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a stud athlete and he, he just, and I think that was one of his favorite runs and he just wanted to go far, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I think that he wanted to do something really, really long and super challenging that wasn't really a race. Because, you know, you sign up for like a big 10 day stage race is going to cost a shitload of money. And he just wanted to go and do something on his own. And yeah, I don't know exactly what prompted it. But yeah, I just remember it was just insane just hearing his stories and all the hallucinations he was having. And he was friends with all the Rangers after by the time he was done and they were cheering him on. And I was just nuts. Oh, my goodness. I'm definitely going to find that episode because that's inspiring to hear. again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, there's yeah, there's crazy people out there. And I, I love crazy people. <laughs> uh, Perfect. Oh my goodness. Uh, so you celebrated afterwards with a can of soup and leftover pizza? Taking my shoes off. That was the big thing. Was just to take <laughs> off my shoes. And then yeah, that was about it. Nice. <laughs> Did your parents drive over to the North Rim to meet you? No. So okay. they stayed on the South Rim the whole time. Okay. Well, that's probably smart because I've made that drive and that drive takes almost as long as it does to run through the canyon it's like yeah it's like you have to go way 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 around it's so far out of the way so that's the only reason i was wondering it's it's just it's like a six hour drive or something insane so um i bet you they were pretty proud (laughs) they were pretty proud they uh they were actually so excited so i had a little garmin in touch gps um just because i knew they were going to be on the on the uh rim rating for me um south rim And so I kept in touch with them a few times as I got to the North rim, I texted them. I had service so I could actually like text out um, with that. And then I messaged them again with the Garmin at the bottom of Phantom ranch, just to give them a heads up of like where we are going, what's going on. Um, So I messaged them there and it was 6 30 PM. And I told them, I was like, Hey, like I'm moving slow, but I'll get there around 10. Like see if the, I'll update you once I get to Indian garden. So then again, moving a little bit slower than I wanted to at Indian Garden. But of course, my mom was so excited. She's like, we're not going to miss Carla. Just in case she comes up beforehand, we're not going to miss her. So I told them, meet me there at 10. They show up at nine. 
And of course I don't finish till 1130. (laughs) So mom and dad had gone to like the grocery store and bought like $5 camper chairs. And they were sitting there at the top of the South rim for two and a half hours um, with their headlamps on just looking at the stars and chatting. But again, like I told you, I was with the Houston Striders and we were, they knew that there was a big group of us down there. So here you go. You're just finishing this huge day. You're coming up. It's dark outside. And you're, there was probably about five or six groups ahead of me of just a single runner or two runners. And as they had come up from the trail, mom and dad were like cheering for them and clapping for them. I was like, they don't even know who these people are, yeah. but to just have someone there to acknowledge what you did. Cause again, there's no tour buses there at that point in time. Everyone's asleep. Um, but they were little cheerleaders for everyone who showed up, came out of the canyon that day. (laughs) Cool. Cool. Yeah. So cool. Um, yeah, well, thanks for sharing because like I said, it's one of my favorite runs. I love to just go back and sort of relive the memories there. And, um, although you're, you say that there's like a 2% chance you're going to go back. I, I don't know. I see it differently. I bet you in a couple of weeks, you're going to start thinking about it again. And it might be a couple of years by the time you make it back there, but I think it'll probably happen again. Probably <laughs> again, the day before the run, I went to one of the lookouts and I looked and I was like, wow, the grand Canyon is really big. It's going to be a really long run. And then like, as I was flying home from Phoenix, we fly over the grand Canyon again. You're like, Oh, Hey, look at that. <laughs> and it was just like, I'll see you again. Like, yep. <laughs> this is my last time to come visit you. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not betting on anything just yet, but I wouldn't be surprised. Good, good. I like it. Well, what are you betting on? Like, what's next? Do you have other plans, other races, or anything else coming up in the future? Big adventures? Nothing just yet. There's a lot of things potential coming down the timeline. Okay. Um, again, I've signed up for the Whistler Fondo. Um, with that, there's a few kind of trail races later in the season up here, um, in Vancouver area. Um, there's like a five peaks challenge. There's, um, a few kind of Alpine metal races up near Whistler as well. Again, I didn't sign up for any of them just yet. Cause I wanted to see how I was feeling after this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, definitely a few potentials. We'll okay. see if I hit the Ironman circuit again, but I'm not sure about that just yet. Again, trail running. And being in the trails right now is very much a priority. You're feeling it. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Well, I would highly recommend it. Um, I don't know many people that have gone from triathlon to trail running and regretted it. Most of them have just (laughs) gone straight in, never looked back and just become this crazy trail runner, you know? So yeah, I would say go for it. I'm Um, looking towards it. Looking forward to it. Nice. I used to work with uh, this, this guy who was a, a triathlete. And at the time I was doing a lot of trail running and we would always go back and forth about whose sport was better. And uh, we would just talk smack all the time. And I would go into work and, and uh, he would be like, um, did you take a crap in the woods this morning? And I'd be like, yeah, it was probably about the same time you were shaving your legs. And we would just talk <laughs> shit all the time. <laughs> uh, Oh, the two funny. worlds are separate, but they're, they're pretty close as well. Well, my boyfriend is an Olympic weightlifter. So it's mm. here. He is Mr. One rep max of everything. And then here I am this 19 hours, 12 hours. That's what I call a fun day. And he's just like, <laughs> where does that 
go, but right. like, I understand the difference. We, we chirp each other back and forth as well. <laughs> so you guys are like polar opposites. I mean, he's spending all of his time in the gym trying to get that one heavy rep up and you're outside going for 19 hours. I drag him on the trails every once in a while, which nice. he very much enjoys. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, that's opposites attract. I'm sure you guys balance each other out. That's yep. how me and my wife are as well. We're completely opposite, but somehow it works. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. It's, it's funny how that works out. Yeah. Well, um, what's next for elevated endurance? Like if, if you could uh, wave a magic wand and five years down the road, build that thing into whatever you want, like what is, what's the end goal? Absolutely. So um, again, right now, there's a little bit more building blocks that I am going to be sending out or creating um, strength programs specifically for trail runners, road cyclists, triathletes, road runners, working on having those to be able to sell. Again, really trying to build up the virtual aspect of things, whether it be um, uh, via Zoom or also via kind of those kind of programs, um, really trying to work out that work up towards that, but also spreading the word that strength and resistance training isn't detrimental to endurance athletes. Again, there's that, that big void. And that's typically the first thing that falls off the training program, but mm -hmm. it's actually very, very beneficial to add into your training program, um, mm -hmm. time allotting. Um, so that's just kind of spreading the word with that. That's the big goal is to not be afraid of the weights and the resistance training, because it's actually much more beneficial than people give it credit for. Yeah, I agree. Um, and there's also people in the camp that say the same thing about stretching and yoga. They mm -hmm. say um, endurance athletes aren't stretching or spending enough time doing hot yoga. Is that something you play around with at all? Or, or what are your, where do you stand on the um, stretching and yoga stuff? With stretching and yoga, um, I feel like it has its time and its place. And you really have to look at, again, the athlete individually with what works best for them. Um, I personally am a big fan of moving your body through its full range of motion. So um, with that, it's one of those things where yes, let's say, let's talk about trail runners, trail runners are very quad dominant. But it's one of those things where making sure you can squat deeply or um, lunge to like all the way down to one knee and back and like have that mobility. I find that that is my kind of more perspective. So movement is medicine. Um, and there is time and place for more static stretching, not at the beginning of any sort of run or um, at the beginning of any sort of strength session or speed session, whatever it may be. That's always at the end. Um, so it's one of those things where I, again, whatever works for the individual, I personally say that moving more and again, moving through the full range of motion, I find that the most beneficial to everything to okay. everyone yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense um do you and your boyfriend go to the gym at the same time do you guys train together at all sometimes yes okay. and no um okay. he's he also trains clients individually so it depends on the schedule Got but it. yeah okay. it is sometimes we do i'm just wondering what that would look like because i'm picturing him uh as big as like a refrigerator and <laughs> you not so much and going into the gym and just going opposite directions. <laughs> <laughs> in like a normal gym, you would typically probably see me like head off to the treadmill and he'd head off to like the platforms or the squat racks or anything like that. Mm. Um, when we are training together, we're typically surprised side by side. Uh, okay. And 
doing similar things, but different. Yeah. Again, he's very much more into the Olympic weightlifting. He would love to have me try an Olympic weightlifting meet um, at some point in time. So we'll, we'll see if that's on the docket for things to do in between trail runs. Okay. Um, but it's um, we both accept to, we accept each other with regards that we're doing our own thing, but at least we're still there together. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. An Olympic lifting uh, competition, like, is that mainly just like the three big lifts or um, like bench, deadlift, squat, or what is that? What are those so competitions? So that's powerlifting, like? actually. So that power, okay. powerlifting is, yeah, you do get tested on the squat, the deadlift, and the bench. Mm -hmm. um, Olympic weightlifting is more of the snatch or the clean and jerk. So Got that's it. the one you actually see like at the Olympics where they would take the weights, fling it above their head and then catch it in a low squat. Um, okay. Yes. Lots okay. of skill with it. I can only imagine I've <laughs> never, I've spent a lot of time in the gym. I don't think I've ever tried that exercise. <laughs> I would hire a coach or have someone teach you first. <laughs> I would bang myself in the head and fall over and knock myself unconscious. I'm sure if I didn't have a coach, so. <laughs> I've, yeah, had a lot of bruises off that I've tried to learn for sure. <laughs> um, so there's a, a fair amount of trail runners and, and ultra runners that listen to this. If you could if you could tell us like two or three exercises that you think are the most important. Um, and I know that it's, everybody's a little bit different and not the most important exercise isn't going to be the same for everyone, but just kind of a broad generalization, like say, I only have X amount of time every day. I don't have a lot of time for strength training, but I want to get some in that's going to be beneficial in my trail running. What would those exercises be? I am a big fan of the deadlift or any kind of variation of that, just because that really engages that posterior chain. Again, feel free to reach out to somebody with regards to if you have questions for technique or cues or anything like that, make sure you're doing it right. Um, but it does really engage those hamstrings, those glutes, the lats. It really gets that posterior chain um, nice and strong, which is very important for runners. I also love any sort of variation of step-ups or lunges or Bulgarian split squats, because if you think about running as well, that is kind of unilateral. So one leg at a time. So that also any sort of variation of those are another big helpful um, exercise that helps runners again, engage each leg individually. And then any sort of core exercise, big fan of planks, side planks, farmers carries, those again, gets the core engaged as well. Um, kind of finding the tension um, in the body is a really important one as well. Because if you think about as trail runners, we have to learn how to be fluid and like our ankles tend to be a little bit looser as we kind of hop over rocks and you have to be able to shift your body weight back and forth. Um, and so our body has to be really flexible with that. So actually training your body to find that tension with like a compound lift of the deadlift, or also make sure each side is working correctly with those individual, um, like step-ups or lunges or lateral step-ups, things like that. And then core with the planks, nice and easy, straightforward, but very, very important as well. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, do you have any of your favorite exercises that you could share with us? Something that you just love to do or something you're good at, or when you go to the gym, you hit this almost every time. Oh, I'm secretly starting to love like chin-ups and pull-ups oh, okay. and like okay. some upper body work. That's one of my secrets that I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, again, kind of going off, 
off trail with not necessarily just working the legs. I do love to work my legs, but also sometimes throwing some upper body strength isn't a problem. Yeah. I love pull-ups as well. Like, um, and I don't know if it's my ultra brain, but it's like, I'll try and do as many pull-ups. Like I'll set a timer for like, say 30 minutes. I'm trying to do like five pull-ups on the minute, every minute for 30 minutes or something. And it's, wow. <laughs> and it seems like it's, it's, it's pretty easy if you're only doing five. I mean, for me, it's like five pull-ups. I can just knock them out quick. And then I wait for the rest of a minute and it's not that bad of a, it's not that hard of a workout, but I don't know if that's just like my ultra brain, like trying to make a pull-up workout into a 30 minute workout or what, but no, I love pull-ups. So <laughs> Good for you. Again, yes. it took me a while to get my first one, but they're fun <laughs> now that I, now that I can do them. <laughs> good, good. I love them. Well, cool. Um, do you, you are on social media. Do you have a website? I do. So everything can be linked through my, um, kind of Instagram account. My Instagram account is elevated endurance. Um, website or anything in there i believe it's elevated underscore endurance elevated underscore okay yes elevated underscore endurance um through the little description bar you have a connection to my website in there but otherwise my email is elevated or elevate endurance.ca so that's the other thing but you can um not dot com dot ca okay since i'm up here in canada Uh, as well Okay. But you feel free to reach out on social media. I'm pretty active on that. Um, or email or anything. Again, all of it's linked through my Instagram bio. Awesome. Okay. Anything we didn't cover, Carla? Like what I, else? I don't um, know. I know it's this is just here. I thought my big rim to rim to rim was a uh, big accomplishment. And then people do 10 in a row. I'm like, you know what? This is just the start of some of the crazy ideas that I have. And maybe I'll just have to dive into some more. You know, I hesitated to even bring it up because I didn't want to like eclipse your experience with this <gasps> crazy guy who did it 10 times, but I had to mention it to you because I knew you'd be interested. No, I'm totally interested. And the thing I find again, fascinating, especially with the trail community, again, it's so welcoming to everyone, whether it's mm-hmm. your first time on a trail and you don't know what to do. Or again, you're super experienced and can do 10 of something. There was a lady I was running with, um, that I met on the trail and she just happened to watch a YouTube video. And she's like, yep, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And like dove into the rim to rim to rim in one day. And I was just like, what? That's very large spectrum of training and experience out there. And I was like, I was shocked by that. And then also shocked by anyone who could do 10 of them or again, finish or even finish under 10, 13 hours. Like it's the the community is so vast with everyone's experiences and their skills. And I'm just really looking forward to meeting more people in the community. Definitely. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing if you sign up for any ultra marathons, because I I think that you're getting the bug. (laughs) I kind of feel it. Do you have any race recommendations by chance? Oh, tons. Are you kidding me? I live in Colorado. It's, I got nothing but recommendations. Um, definitely shoot some of those my way because I have always had a nice interest in Colorado. I think for a trail run would be just a perfect excuse to come visit. It's beautiful. There is the elevation thing you kind of have to worry about, um, which isn't necessarily a deal breaker. Um, in my studies, I learned that it's best to come out to a race 10 days early to acclimate or the night be, or the night before or the morning of the race to trick your body so that 
there's, there is no time to acclimate. You know what I'm okay. saying? Yeah. So it's either come out a few days early and acclimate or come out the morning of the race and just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> like um, the safety way or just the yeah. kind of trickster way. I love it. If you were to sign up for a race and I know I'm now I'm putting all this in your mind and I I'm playing devil's advocate here and <sighs> I, I'm just going to sign you up for a race. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> just tell me a date and when and where. Yes. Be here. Um, would you sign up for a 50 miler? Because now you've done a 46 mile run. Would you, would 50 miles be next or would you go further or what do you think? Oof, tough call. I mean, it's weird to say that like, oh yeah, like 50 K that doesn't seem that exciting. So I think 50 mile is just the next step. Yeah. I don't know if I jumped to a big hundred miler or hundred K just yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but 50 miles easily the next step. Nice. So we'll see. Okay. Again, I don't have anything on the race calendar yet, but I feel like there'll be a few more races here this year. Okay. Well, anybody listening to this, please bug Carla to sign up for a 50 mile race sometime soon so that we can have you back on the podcast in another year and hear about your ultra experience. <laughs> Sounds good, Adam. More than happy to. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, thanks for doing this. Um, it was inspirational and I love going down memory lane and talking about the rim to rim to rim. So it was a pleasure for me. So um, definitely stay in touch. And if you ever come out to Colorado, look me up because yeah, I know where all the good trails are and I can take on some good ones. Oh, fantastic. Thank you again so much for uh, having me on, Adam. I, I really appreciate it. Really yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Um, enjoy the recovery. Um, hopefully you'll be back at it soon. But um, yeah, um, like I said, this was a pleasure. So just yeah, keep doing you. You're a cool person. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> All right. Talk soon. We'll see you. All right. Sounds good. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what we are doing at Big Things Crewing or you enjoy the podcast, please consider donating to us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash do big things is where you can drop a dollar in the hat, so to speak. I'd like to thank our loyal Patreon subscribers. Without you guys, this isn't possible. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, Exoskin. Their running apparel keeps you comfortable in absolutely any condition. Say goodbye to chafing and blisters. Check them out, exoskin.us. Use our discount code, capital BTC, for 15% off. I also want to tell you guys real quick about Bigger Than the Trail. Bigger Than the Trail is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization that is using trail running as a platform to advocate for mental health. If you've ever thought about getting therapy but aren't in the position where you can afford it or you don't have insurance, Bigger Than the Trail offers you free therapy for three months. Yes, you got it. I said it. You heard it right. I couldn't love what these guys are doing more. I signed up for it. It was quick. It was easy. Within 48 hours, I had a, a therapist that met all my pre-requirements. It was all matched up with me and met my personal criteria. And I met with her every week for, I don't know, a couple months. And, uh, you know, I, I, I met with her until I felt a little bit better. And, uh, you know, I'm trying this thing. You guys should try this thing and, you know, we can all do it together. Look up bigger than the trail, sign up for the services, and let's do the small things in life that eventually lead us to doing the big things. Let them know we sent you. Also, we want to thank Alter Ego Running. They make pre premium performance hats, 
Everyone needs a good lid or two when you're out running on an epic adventure. Uh, these hats should be your go-to on everyday runs, epic adventures, and just cruising around town. Check out Alter Ego Running. Use our promo code, capital, all caps, do big things, and that's for 20% off. Last but not least, this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Brewing, the finest non-alcoholic craft beer in the market. Check out athleticbrewing.com and use my discount code, McRobertsA20, all caps, for 20% off the finest non-alcoholic beer around. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. Remember, guys, life is short. Do big things, baby. Pedro, take us for a run.